Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of Scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Well, welcome back, brave listeners. Kelly and Chelsea are here today with an episode we are very excited to share with you. Today, we have an amazing interview with author, Bible teacher, and ministry leader, Reagan Rose, and he is going to help us tackle the tough topic of video gaming, but from a standpoint of scripture and the biblical worldview. It is awesome. You're going to love it. I know that a lot of parents out there are struggling with this issue, either what do you allow? How do you limit? How do you take it away if it's gone too far? It is a very tough issue. And Reagan has such a wise, discerning, and practical approach to it that I know you're going to love. He has written a student's guide to video gaming that is written for kids. It's from the biblical worldview. It's fantastic. We're going to have that linked in the show notes. So make sure you go check it out on Amazon. It's less than $5. You're definitely going to want to get this book for your kids. So without further ado, here's our interview with Reagan Rose. Reagan, well, we want to thank you so much for being on the podcast with us and just willing to share your time and your expertise. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, how you came to write one of the best student handbooks on video gaming? Yeah, my name is Reagan Rose. I, uh, I'm a graduate of the Master Seminary. So um, I, uh, I call myself a teacher of the Bible. I'm not currently a pastor, but I teach the Bible in my local church and um, through a ministry called Redeeming Productivity, uh, where I help Christians focus on stewarding their life and their time as best as we possibly can, uh, according to biblical principles and for God's glory. And uh, that's the main thing I do. And so the the kind of the way I got into writing a book on video games is, one, uh, the, they can be one of the, the biggest issues I run into working with believers who are seeking to better manage their time because it's a huge time suck. But really, it goes further back than that. I I grew up with video games and I was very much addicted to video games up until I was a young adult and ended up after wrestling through how do I handle this? How do I do this in moderation? And I eventually for myself decided that I wasn't going to play games anymore. And uh, the thing I kept running into though, working with youth and then eventually in college ministry was uh, the, there weren't many good resources out there helping Christians discern through video games. and so. I ended up saying, okay, well, I, I, I'm i going to try to write something on this that's going to be really, really biblical and that's going to be discerning, that's not going to fall into this trap where on the one side, some some books are just so maybe over the top, sometimes even legalistic, where the, the kid's not going to read it or the parent's not going to read it or what it says in it is not going to be helpful because the kid's just going to gloss over or falls in the other trap, which most of the modern books I've found on video games for Christians, they're just uncritically praising games. It's like, no, these are these are a net good common grace, and it's the same thing as movies, so let, live and let live. And so uh, that's how it came about that I, I got to write this book in partnership with uh, Reform Youth Ministries and um, pray to God that it's helpful to, to some parents and some children. Yeah. Well, we certainly loved the book. We both bought it, both read it. And I had it just conveniently sitting there on my table. And even my children were intrigued. I have I have seven kids, but three teenagers currently left at home. And my 17-year-old daughter was like, oh, I want to read that. So it is, it is, it's really oh, intriguing. Awesome. <laughs> even to the teenagers, you know, they kind of want to know. So 
So Reagan, you know, he had the brave parenting, our ministry and on the podcast, you know, we talk a lot about social media and the issues that parents face when it comes to their teens and social media. But gaming is this huge other area that brings a lot of contention between parents and adults. So let's get into the, the kind of the heart of the issue. What is it about gaming that makes it such a difficult and sometimes contentious battle between kids and parents? Yeah. Well, I think the the simple version is video games are really, really, really fun. Like they are. <laughs> like, And I think that's due to they're perhaps the most engaging form of entertainment that's ever existed. I mean, if you think about it, it's a lot of times people compare it to to movies or books or something. It's just another type of media, but it's not because the one big difference besides, you know, being audio visual is it, it's participatory. You're actually not just watching what's going on. You're you're doing it. And even more so, which I think sometimes we just don't think through this far enough, you can play games for hours without growing tired. Like it, it, so you can get sucked in in a way that you can't even with like playing sports, for example, outside for a kid. So I, I use the phrase in the book, it's low effort participatory simulation. So it's low effort. I mean, it doesn't take much out of you to actually play games. I mean, obviously your eyes grow tired after a while, but the big thing is it's, you're participating in it. And what you're doing is actually you get superpowers. I mean, any game you're playing, whether it's a building game like Minecraft or even like even a sports game or, you know, maybe a, a shooter game or an adventure game, whatever it is, you're doing something you can't do in real life. And you're doing that in a way where you're overcoming obstacles. It, it's just, it is so satisfying on so many levels that, that I, I really believe the reason um, at the heart level games can be so um addictive and just draw draw kids in and then lead to like like you mentioned the contention at home is games are really simulating some of the very things god created us for so i talk in the the book about dominion you know we created to 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 rule uh, over the earth under god's authority right and and to subdue it and so there's this in games, you know, they talk about the gamer culture, talk about owning people when you really like, you know, make a good move on somebody in a game. Um, so it simulates that. So you have the satisfaction of building without ever actually having to do the hard thing to build and the satisfaction of um, overcoming an obstacle without actually having done the hard part. Same thing with fellowship. It simulates fake fellowship, especially with online games where you can at the same time hide and and hold people at arm's distance, but still get a little of, of that interaction that you want. It's like the best of both worlds, except for it's super destructive. Um, and it also simulates rewards. We're created by God for for reward. And uh, and ultimately, you know, we get that in heaven. But in games, you you have that satisfaction to keep doling out rewards as you overcome the little obstacles. And it's all calculated in such a way by the game developers to keep you playing one more level, keep you playing one more match, just a little bit longer, a little bit longer. You put all that together and as a parent, you say, hey, you need to stop playing right now. You've had an hour of that or I don't want you playing that game or whatever it is. You're taking away something that is bringing them a tremendous amount of satisfaction and, and enjoyment and that is all encompassing when you're in the game that sometimes, I mean, often as parents, you're overwhelmed by the reaction. You're like, whoa, like my kid is way too old to be throwing a tantrum, but this this is a tantrum because I took away a video game. And so I think it all comes down to it, it's just so engaging, um, unlike anything we've we've really seen before. Wow. So as you were talking and you were talking about how it's participatory, how it's low effort, 
I really thought as you were talking, like we could almost take out the word video gaming and replace it with something like pornography. Like it's kind of got the way you were describing it. I was like, wow, this is why it's so addictive. And, you know, we often hear the term video game addiction. And even though who the World Health Organization, they've recognized this as a problematic disorder. But I love the way Christians can see it. And you point this out in the book. And so when you when you wrote this in the book, that is disordered worship, you know, in, in the most kind of like new age term, like I was vibing with that because I'm a biblical counselor and you described it as disordered worship. But would you help our listeners understand or kind of unpack what disordered worship looks like in a Christian's life as it comes to video game addiction? Yeah. So that that disordered worship, that's a phrase I'm borrowing from Ed Welch. Who, uh, he's written, he's a biblical counselor as well, and he's written a lot on addiction and uh, he says addictions are ultimately a disorder of worship, and you know his as he talks about it, one of one of my favorite books of his is a banquet in the grave where he talks about addictions and he talks about addictions are a matter of the heart. So often we think about you know like you mentioned addiction to pornography or sometimes substance addiction. You're like, how does this have to do with the heart? Aren't you just addicted to the drug? But really, it's it's a defect in our affections, in our in our loves, and what we want, and so. As Christians, we understand that the right and proper object of our affections is God, right? You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's a it's a full person supposed to be totally directed towards God. And what happens with an addiction is uh, part of your affection, or sometimes all of it, is redirected towards some uh, time of some kind of physical feeling. Um, and maybe that comes by a substance or maybe it comes by an experience like like you mentioned with video games or, or pornography. But either way, there's there's a bodily response that we begin to idolize and we begin to do whatever we can to get that. And you start to neglect other stuff in life. But and, and that's when you really start to see the danger of addiction. But at that point, this is what I, I try to emphasize at that point you've gone so far down the track when you start seeing that, oh, for example, video games, I'm playing way more than, and, and I'm, I'm ignoring schoolwork. I'm not sleeping. Like some of the examples I had in the book, that's, that's just the fruit of something that happened long before where your, your heart turned and you started to look to uh, gaming or whatever it is for satisfaction, for comfort, for safety, things that you should be seeking in God and finding your fulfillment in God. You started to look for those in this experience and your heart's been turned. It's become an idol to you. And uh, that's what I mean by that. It's it's really a matter of our relationship with God. It's a heart problem when we become addicted to something. Yeah, that's so powerful. And when you think about we, and I say we as, you know, late millennials, Gen X parents who did not have these type of video games growing up, it is really hard. There is a huge disconnect, not only because if we don't play them, we don't understand that, but I don't even know if a lot of parents even know how to shepherd their children's hearts properly before they ever get onto video games to steer them away from that type of idolatry. So, you know, a lot of parents right now, they're just kind of looking for, and they, it doesn't exist. We know that there's no hard and fast answers as to what to allow and how much to allow. And so many parents are just really struggling. And, and it's different for every family. It's different for every child because different children are going to interact and, and do different things with different resources, different games. But in the book, you talk about three common approaches that people take. And I'm just going to kind of say parents, especially 
um, take to video games. So one of them you said is unbiblical legalism. So is this the parents who kind of just say, you know what, all video games are bad and I'm not even going to let my kids play at a house that has a video game console. <laughs> or explain to us kind of what that unbiblical legalism would look like in the parents' response. Yeah, yeah again, I, I think the the focus is on the heart. The There's a difference, I think, between having a rule for your family where you say, we don't play video games in this household, and, and legalism, which would be video games are sinful, and we're going to judge everybody. You're going to judge the parent down the street who lets their kid play video games. There, there's a big difference there. You can... You can have really strict rules and not be legalistic. I think that's that's a division sometimes we don't we don't draw. But yeah, I, I would say the unbiblical legalism is is calling something sin that's not sin. And and that really gets to the heart of what you're bringing up here is it's so there's not you can't pull up a chapter and verse that says, oh, two hours of screen time a day. OK, perfect. I'll just <laughs> yeah. do that. Right. It's uh, it requires a lot more discernment. And sometimes we skip over discernment and run to legalism because it's easier, but it, it doesn't actually capture the heart the way that God wants us to. Yeah, that, that's so wise, so wise. And your next one is uncritical praise. So I kind of read into that, like, this is the parent who gives their child Roblox at seven and then gets them all set up with their own YouTube channel to start streaming by age like 10 or 11 so they can make <laughs> it big, <laughs> right? Is that what? Yeah. <laughs> is that, that uncritical no, praise? Yeah, it, it's 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 seen the good in games and there is there's good in it like there there are fun games there there's things you can do as a family there's things you can do by yourself you know in forest we we think it's okay to enjoy some forms of entertainment there's good to video games the problem is when you just turn your blinders on to all of the negative side effects like i was mentioning before the show you guys talked about social media it's this, it's the it's with that too it's like people just want to pretend that there's no problems it's like but that that doesn't bear out in reality so a lot of unfortunately um, when Christians talk about video games, at least a lot of the ones I run into, they want to go to the uncritical praise part because they don't want to be accused of being like, quote unquote, those Christians who who are down on video games. But don't you see this is just art and this is it's all good to it. It's like, no, there's good. There's good and bad. You got to you got to hold the line. Yeah. And then the third one was unthinking apathy. So I kind of I think more parents are in this than than anything I kind of think of in my experiences. These are the parents who allow it because it just makes life easy. You know, they don't have to play with their kids. They don't have to entertain their kids. They don't have to listen to their kids whine. As long as you don't take it away, it's fine, right? I get my own time, my own, I do my own thing. Is that kind of what you, where you envision unthinking apathy in parents' response? Yeah, and I would venture to guess that that's probably the majority of Christian parents. It is, it's, it's not, they haven't thought much about it. And it's kind of like, you slip into. I mean, I know we did as parents before my wife and I had kids, we were like, they're not going to have any screen time at all. And then we're, we're like, oh, wait, now, okay, this this is really hard because sometimes you're really busy. And so like, it's very hard to hold the line on that. But it's like anything you, once you start opening the door to it, you just start more and more if you don't draw the line somewhere. And so it's the same thing with video games. You might even have a, you you might have some standard to begin with, but you just kind of, it's not worth it to you at some point. And that's not a, a biblical response either. You need to take it seriously and you can't just be apathetic about this thing. Those are awesome. I am going to totally admit that I have fallen into the, probably the legalistic category at some point. 
Um, you know, I might have been, you know, like Bobby Boucher's mom a few times and said, that's the devil and no one should play video games and stuff. But, you know, I mean, I've realized that they're not always as bad, right? As we, you know, when you have a group of boys come over and they're all playing Mario together and then they're like, okay, we're bored with us. Let's go outside. You know what I mean? At least they're, they're doing something, right? They're doing it in a group. It's not, they're not isolated. And, and I, I'm so, I'm so thankful that the Lord has kind of like softened my heart to that, you know? And because when you take a legalistic approach, I realized that we were isolating our son, to be quite honest, like when we had a hard and fast rule. And so what do you think then is the healthiest mindset that parents can have as it regards to gaming? Like how can parents honor and obey God when all their children want to do are play video games? Like where do we draw lines in the sand? Are there games we just shouldn't allow? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the the big picture is, I think I called it in the book, unapologetic discernment. So again, discern, discernment's hard. And that's why it's it's easier to slip into one of these things, either apathy or legalism or, or just uncritical praise, because discernment's hard. And very often, the enemy to discernment is the fear of man, the fear of what others are going to think of us. And so a lot of times... That's why I said unapologetic is some parents are going to think you're too strict with your rules. Some parents are going to think you're too liberal and you can get kind of caught up between those things. And you're like, oh, and you just want to conform to whatever the majority is. But that's where you got to be unapologetically discerning. It doesn't matter what the other parents are doing. It matters that it's your home. It's your kids. And you're the one responsible before God for raising them. And it's not the other parents. It's not their classmates. And so I think that's the starting place is you you don't budge because of uh, because you're trying to appease other people or try to fit in. But you you do budge and you do be reasonable because you're being discerning and you recognize that this isn't completely black and white. Um, and so you need to approach this with wisdom. And so with cut and dry stuff, you know, exercising the appropriate action for appropriate situations, um, that really is wisdom. And and I think the big like guiding thing for us, the thing I I I, I tell parents is if you keep like, what is the mission that we're on here? What's the mission of our family? I, and and as a parent, my mission in the home, I want to raise these kids in the fear and admonition admonition of the Lord. That's that's the mission. I want them to grow up mature. I want them to love the Lord. And I want to cast off any encumbrance that's going to keep them from that. And sometimes uh, that that might be things that are not sinful, but just are not helpful. But at the same time, this is why it's hard. You're trying to thread the needle between that and, you know, Ephesians 6, 4, not, not exasperating your child. And so that's where I think there there is some leniency where you, you don't want to be super, super strict and and uh make it so hard that the the kid um they never even have to learn for themselves how to think about things because i think that's a big part of it too is you navigate it together with that juggling act with your kids you're actually teaching them to be discerning and that's one of the cool things as hard as it is to be discerning when you do it out loud and in conversation with your kids you're helping them to learn how to do that which is a huge part of them growing up yeah, I think that is a huge part. I think a lot of parents feel like they have to have the answer right then and there when the kid asks, can I play this game? And it's okay. We, you know, we tell our parents all the time, it was okay to just say, you know, I have to pray about that. I need to look into that. I need to research that a little bit more. I don't have an answer right away. And that kids might not love that, right? But I think we're so quick to just give an answer. And a lot of times that's the answer that we end up regretting. <laughs> but I think what you were kind of touching on and and I do think that this is an important aspect, and it has to be done, like you said, with very much wisdom and discernment, is 
uh, inoculating our kids in a way. Um, if we keep them from video games completely and they go their entire high school, you know, middle, elementary, middle school, high school life without ever playing one, and then they get exposed to it later, they'll have no idea how to navigate that. So is that what you would recommend for parents to generally do is to allow some sort of what I would say is inoculation so that they have some sort of online gaming, but you're playing with them, you're helping them make decisions and and discern good from evil and healthy and non-healthy habits while they're doing it. Yeah, I definitely think there's wisdom in that um, as the kid gets older, especially. I'm I'm of the mind, because of my own experience, and I recognize this is sort of jaded my own opinion on it, but because I was addicted to video games, I'm like, I'm much more strict than I would even advise other parents to be because I I just would hate to see repeated in my children's lives what, what was in my life. So I'm 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 probably more hesitant with the inoculation stuff myself. But my, again, my kids are not teenagers yet. I think that's going to change. Lord willing, as they get older, like I do expect that I will I will play games with with them. I think that's a, a good thing. Even if you if you right now you have older kids and you're like, I do not understand what's going on. It's the easiest thing you can do is say, can I play with you? They're, they would love that. And you're going to get it firsthand. So I think there's wisdom in that. I, I do think um, the other the other side of it with the inoculation thing is sometimes I that I get I get that argument for some things, but it, it also the whole forbidden fruit thing like that is, you know, Paul talks about that in Romans seven, right? That that the law now he's speaking about god's law when it came in it sort of stirred up our desire to sin and so um i think i think we should be careful with using that as an argument for exposing our kids to something because maybe later they're going to be exposed to it and uh they'll want to do it more because you kept it from them i don't think that's necessarily true for all things like we wouldn't say it about pornography obviously but the difference there is that's that's overtly, you can't really look at that and not be lusting in your heart. So I, I'm just thinking out loud here. <laughs> Honestly, my my opinions, even since publishing the book, uh, it's been a couple of years, I'm probably a little bit more strict than I was even when, when I wrote the book, just personally. And so some of these things are evolving as my kids start to get older and I'm thinking through them. Um, but uh, so I don't know if I can give a super pat answer on that. I'm kind of talking around it right now. Yeah, if you're it's, following me. <laughs> it's one of the it's one of those things that you know, I think is a is a hard thing. There is a lot of conversation out there about the idea of inoculating, giving them some exposure to the movies, to the video games, to the social media platforms, so that they don't go hog wild. And it's a hard it is a hard thing. And so, especially with the prevalence of video games, and you know, better or worse, they're not going away. They're only they're only going to become um, better and more prevalent and really immersive when you think about um, like Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> yeah, I saw you guys did an episode on that. <laughs> I yeah, was, I was thinking about that too. I mean, this is this is not a a problem that's that's waning. It's getting bigger. Yeah, I I think I think talking through it with them too. Like I keep I keep even though my kids are, are rather young, that I just think is a really important part that I just I keep coming back to is. Thinking through it with them, not to like get the, not that you have to convince them, but that you're saying, here's our thought process. Because I, I really do believe helping kids to develop a category for things that aren't cut and dry, black or white, good or bad, like, like gaming, like entertainment in general, but can be good to be enjoyed in moderation. I think that's a huge part of maturity. 
And so, and teaching them to mature because you're training them in discernment, right? So I think there is the potential where video games could be one of those training grounds to help them grow in maturity and help them to think through what what would be a game that would be appropriate? How much time is appropriate, especially as they get older and sort of handing over those reins more and more? We, I think as parents, we can recognize that one of the biggest problems with video games is self-control. Like they don't know how to stop. They don't know when to say no to a game. And so my husband and I had been discussing this because our son is coming up in the years and all of his friends play video games. And we're just trying to navigate that space. Like how do we let him or do we not let him? Those types of things. And we believe wholeheartedly that the only thing that really changes a person's heart is the word of God. Like it's, it's, that's how we reconform our minds. So we actually have him memorizing verses on self-control because as parents, what we want to do is we want to be able to recognize the mousetraps that are out there, the temptations that exist and help them, prepare them, equip them with God's word, with a renewed mind to avoid those temptations. Like listen, you're going to really want to keep going after the time limit, you know, is over our time limit. And you are going to have to really rely on God's word to, to trust and obey him. And to know that obedience to him is really what you're doing when you're, when you turn off that video game. And I think we have answers. We have a sufficient scripture to help us, um, to help us train up our kids in righteousness. It's just, trying to figure because you're not going to be able to find video games you know like you said there's no cut and dry scripture it's <laughs> um it, but you're right the principles are there the principles we need to to be guided are there in scripture it's it's not um it's not an oversight that video games aren't there specifically that is sufficient even to our modern world right absolutely and i think one of the groups i see hit the hardest right now is male college students um, you know, guys are not pursuing girls anymore. In fact, there was an NIH study that came out, I believe in 2019, that said that um, consistent video game usage has actually created a dopamine like homeostasis and it's deleted their sex drive completely. Like it's just not there anymore. And that habit, that video game habit follows them into marriage because they really didn't know how to figure it out when they were in college. Then we see intimacy and connectedness suffer because of video gaming. So what advice would you give to parents who are really concerned with their kids who are going off to college right now or maybe who have college students and they've just kind of seen them go off the deep end into video gaming and they don't know how to pull them back in? And would you have any advice to a college student who is listening right now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I I um I spent a lot of time doing college ministry. I was in college ministry for for 5 years working with college students and even that's been maybe about 10 15 years ago now, but even then it was the common thing, especially for young men come in their freshman year and, uh, they just kind of crash, crash and burn. They fail their first class they just don't show up. And a lot of it was because they're just playing video games and nine times out of 10, the guys that I was working with, the, the Christian guys, they would take it as a wake up call. And that was sort of, that was a turning point for them in taking responsibility for themselves and being like, okay, I'm, I'm. I'm either going to take this seriously or I'm going to drop out, right? Um, and so I I do think like from the parental perspective, um, you know, that that whole journey of parenting, how I picture it, I guess, is you're slowly giving your child more and more rope, more and more responsibility and more and more opportunity for you to trust them and, and really for them to to fail, right? And you're sort of doling out more and more line. And around, you know, college age, especially when they leave the home, 
the kind of like the last knot of that rope is slipping through your fingers and you're saying, okay, that this, you're going to, you're going to have to take it. And, and I, I do think, you know, just like when you're teaching your kid to ride a bike uh, without the training wheels and you first take your hand off the seat, they might face plant into a bush a couple of times. And that, that can be part of the process God uses to really wake them up and grow them up. And, and I say this from experience, that was, that was my experience. I like, I was uh, addicted to games, like I said, as a young man and I failed things. I was not fulfilling responsibilities. I paid some major consequences for that. And I can trace a direct line to that, that the Lord used that for me to say, hang on, it's time to wake up. It's time to grow up and it's time to, to be a man and, and take this, this stewardship of this life God's given me seriously. So I would encourage parents to to do take courage in that, especially if your children are believers. Um, the other thing is too, you know, you don't have as much obviously control anymore if they're not in the home. But if you can maintain that relationship and be a be a listening ear, and you can still advise at that, there's so much to that because a lot of times the especially college students they're on their own. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty they're feeling, and and they're even if you don't feel like they're listening, a lot of times they are listening to your advice, and you're telling them, hey, you need to take this more seriously. You do you do need to show up to class, maybe limit games to only the weekends, or maybe do an hour a day. A lot of times they are taking that to heart, even if you don't realize it. Um, and the college students themselves, I would just say the same thing. Um, you know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And this is, I'll just say that this is the big message of the book that I tried to bring through is we're on the greatest mission that there is. Like we, as children of God, adopted heirs, right? Through through Jesus Christ, forgiven sons and daughters of the King. My goodness, what a wonderful journey we're on to, to, uh, to, to not just proclaim the gospel to the world, but to, to be a light, even as we live our lives in submission to him. And to and I emphasize this word stewardship a lot, to take your life seriously. So stewardship, the opportunities you're given, the resources you're given, to take that seriously. And I think when you have that huge, clear vision of, I'm here for a purpose before God, it, that makes it easier to say no to things that are getting in the way of it. And I think the more we can cultivate that, even as parents too, and if you're a college student or a student listening to this, you cultivate that and you remember it's about Jesus Christ. He's the highest treasure. The the little stuff like games or the other distractions, they're going to fade in their appeal. And you're going to have a little bit more strength to say, no, uh, that that is not something I need right now. I need to focus on this that God has put before me right now that I need to be responsible for. Yeah, I think all of us can say that we fall into some sort of missed uh, you know, d- disordered worship in some fashion, especially at that age. It's such a it's such a hard age. And so, and we do all grow out of it. And so it just seems a little bit more extreme. I think a lot of parents have a lot of fear because it it takes up so much time and it just doesn't look healthy to them because again, they didn't experience that. That wasn't their college experience. Um, but for the parents who, I think a lot of parents want to hit the redo button. Maybe their kids are still in the house, they're teenagers, and um, you know, whether it be video gaming or social media, you know, they they look at what they've allowed and they have regret. And you know, Chelsea and I always talk about modeling repentance. You know, we we model repentance in front of our kids. And I I think that's that you know, one of the greatest things we can do. But what else might you advise, you know, as to a way that parents can begin walking back some of their own choices? Um, and instilling, you know, it's never too late, right? As, as long as they're in your house, the door is always open um, to kind of 
uh, model this and and really disciple them still, even at those really hard, <laughs> contentious ages, 16, 17? I definitely get the impression that, that a lot of parents are in that boat. Just from parents I've talked to after writing the book, um, I think a lot of parents are like, oh boy, my kids are already you know, X age. And I wish, I, I wish I'd known this sooner. I wish I could roll it back. Um, and I think the first thing you start with is just by praising God for his grace that's found in Jesus Christ. Like we're, we're all failing at, at parenting and, and the Christian life in countless ways. And all the ones that we feel regret about are probably just a fraction of the ones we don't even realize. So that's the wonderful news of the gospels. We have grace in Jesus Christ. We're already forgiven and we can rest in that. But uh, I do think, you know, after you kind of just refresh yourself with that reminder, then it's like, okay, so what do I do? What can I do now? Because I still have today. Like you said, there's still time. Um, I think, I think one, I'll just, I'll just start with one thing that we could keep in mind is a lot, a lot of kids themselves recognize this as a problem. I, this is something that's actually been surprising to me as I've, I've spoken at some Christian schools and different youth groups and stuff about this. And I am amazed. I think I'm going into like a contentious thing where I'm like going to have to like argue, you know, and the kids are going to be like, who's this guy telling me not to do this. But so many kids come up afterwards and say, I know I'm doing this too much and I don't want to be. And it's the same thing with social media too. They've done studies on this where kids are saying, I wish this didn't have to be part of my life. So I, I think that's one helpful reminder is a lot of times you have an ally, uh, even in, in the kid where they're like, at the same time that they're doing it too much, they know that it's it's making them unhappy. It's leading to problems in their life, and so you you um you have a little bit of help there a lot of times more than you might realize. Um, so true. And, That's so true. I'm glad you brought that up because that is exactly what you see, especially when you talk to teenagers in social media. I go to high school camp with my high school girls, you know, that I lead in our church. And they are so thankful to be without their phones. They don't need their parents to tell them, you know, leave it behind. Don't take it. No, they're like, please take this thing. I want freedom from it. And so, yeah, that's a very, very good point to bring up to really instill hope into parents is there is that feeling there. Yeah. And, and you know, they always say this in the parenting books that the kids, um, they like to know where the boundaries are. And I believe that that's true. I really do believe that. And um, that's one thing you can start with. Um, it, it, I'm not saying that the kids are going to welcome your new rules with open arms. That's probably not going to be the case. But um, I, I think that we can rest assured that that our children will be happier. And, and I'm, we're going to leave godliness as a, as a foregone conclusion if they're believers that, that removing some of this and kind of rolling it back to be helpful. But they're actually going to be happier in the short and the long term. What I mean is there's a strong, strong correlation between the kind of highs that come from video games and any of these kind of dopamine-rich activities and the, the lows that follow them, depression, anxiety, all stuff like that's documented everywhere in, in the you know, secular world. Um, and when you start to roll that back, they might not right away be happy about it, but you're going to level them out and, and help them in a way that even if they're not thankful for it, you can... <laughs> you can have confidence that you're doing the right thing and you're helping them in the short and long term. I think that's something helpful. Um, and I, I do think no matter the age, it starts with with talking it through with them, saying, okay, I'm, we're going to be introducing some new rules. Like you said, modeling repentance. Mom and dad did not handle this right. We're realizing now that we should have we should have had a little bit more restriction on this. And so we're going to start changing some rules. We're going to talk about that with you. And we're going to work this work work this out and it's going to be less less gaming from now on 
Um, but, uh, but this is why we're doing it. And it's because we, we believe this is what's best for you, right? All of that. Um, and then just to get hyper-practical, I have somewhere, I think in the book, I have like three questions you can ask for, for clarity about like making rules. Cause that's something I do think is helpful making rules for your household or for yourself. If you're an individual about video games, one, when will you play video games and for how long? So just again, not, not to, not to be legalistic, but rules are good. How many hours of screen time are we going to have a day? Or are we only going to do video games a certain day of the week? Or is it only after dinner? Like come up with something like that. And again, for, for kids, the boundary, just make it super clear. So there's no ambiguity for them. You got one hour. Um, two, what are the principles that are going to guide the types of games that we're going to play here? Right? So like, how do we decide which games are appropriate and which are not? You know, maybe that means you're going to read uh, review sites about them. Maybe it means something like certain types, no phone games, for example. Maybe it's you use the rating system that's on games. You say nothing above this rating. They're just guidelines for you, but you kind of set that up in advance. So there's no ambiguity. And especially with communicating to the kids, it's so much easier just to point to, no, that one is is rated M for mature. You're not allowed to play that one. Um, and the third thing is, how will you play games when you do play so if you do decide not to completely remove video games from the house maybe you decide how you will do it so one example and and this is what i i did with myself when i when i was a young man i completely gave up on video games the one thing i said is i will play with friends at their house why because my big issue is the addiction factor and th there is always an end to when you're playing with a friend you're not going to stay with them in person and play for hours and hours and hours so like um you know day after day so if I was at someone's house, they want to play games, I would play them, but I wouldn't have them at my house. I wouldn't play online with people. So I think those are three kind of things you can help walk through and come up with some criteria for yourself and for your household. I love that because, and I talk about that in my book about making those pre-decisions because it takes the stress out of the moment when they're begging, but everybody's playing this game. No, I'm sorry. We've already set the standard. There's no M, you know, mature games. That's just what it is. And that pre-commitment to whatever allowance you're going to have in your home is so, so liberating, honestly. <laughs> it takes a lot of stress out of that moment. That's a, that's a great, great point because that can be applied whether you're allowing social media, whether it's about what movies or television shows are gonna watch and definitely video games. Yeah, the rules are not legalistic. That's, I wanna put that on a t-shirt. Having rules for your house is not the same as legalism. You don't have to feel guilty for having rules. Um, and if I could add one more thing there that I just think just from a high level is helpful is replacing media with reality. Um, yeah, Nancy, I love Nancy Piercy. You know, she wrote Total Truth and several great, great books. And she, I think it was in Total Truth. She has a chapter that sort of traces, like, how did we get to where we are? And she's talking about the Industrial Revolution and about how there was some far reaching consequences in the Industrial Revolution in, in which through it, we've sort of outsourced everything from the family and the local church to the world, from religion to medicine to work, like our education, obviously like childcare. But one of the ones that caught me when I was reading that, that I thought that I had to really keep thinking about was she said, and we outsourced entertainment. And I thought, well, my category for entertainment is outsourced entertainment. That's what caught me off guard. When I think entertainment, I think movies or video games or books, something someone else produced to entertain me. And what she was talking about is, uh, in the olden days, when our life was centered around like family and church and friends, we entertained each other. And I'm not saying we need to go get, you know, a wooden hoop and a stick and go do that in the yard. And that's all we can do. But 
I do think there's a lot of wisdom in thinking, hang on a minute. I don't have to do all like all this entertainment is not a necessary part of life. Like people got by without this stuff and so, so much, you know, whatever it is, nine hours a day on average screen time, starting to replace some of those things with reality, you know, more involved, like local church has a picnic stuff at home where you, you go outside and you do things, go for a hike. Like a lot of these different things you can do to replace screen time with reality time. It's going to build better relationships, more true and lasting fellowship. You're sort of, you're taking the the antidote approach. You're not just eliminating, you're replacing with the reality is, yeah, we do need to be entertained. Yeah. But a lot of that comes through relationships and doing things together. I love that. I think that's pretty fantastic. It actually kind of reminds me the past six, or not past six weeks, but the spring we did, we hosted um, at our church for the Youth Sunday School and Apologetics Conference on apologetics and social media. And the kind of like the catchphrase, I guess you could say through it all is that, um, as Hebrews would say, that we are called to spur one another on towards loving good deeds. And I was reading a commentary on it. One of the commentators said, you know, faith, love, and hope is a, a phrase that's popular throughout Hebrews. You kind of see it multiple times. And he's like, you can have faith alone and you can have hope alone, but you can't have love alone. You have to be in community with one another. And I think that just goes to what you just said is that we can love one another and replace that kind of like sugar that we've been living on that, you know, my iPhone, my computer, everything is supposed to entertain me and that we can actually replace those things with love and engage with our community more, especially as we see the day approaching, because every day we get closer to the end. And so he says, even more as we see the day approaching, we need each other. Um, and I think that's just so fantastic. I love the word and of it, God. And Sorry. And you said yes, Nancy Piercy, well, and, and I was like, oh, we're going to be here for another two hours. <laughs> I know, I right? I love Nancy. <laughs> we do love well, Nancy Piercy. <laughs> that is one of the greatest apologetics to the world too, right? I mean, John says, they will know you are Christians by how you love one another. and so. I I think about this all the time is imagine if the church started just drawing a line, like it just seems like we're always just following, especially with the technology stuff. We have this inevitabilism where we're just like, we're just always going to keep following the technology. Imagine if we just drew the line in some strategic places, very reasoned places, and then how much that that departure where, where the whole world right now is lonely and anxious and depressed and buried in their screens. And they're like, I'm just, I just want friends. I want true fellowship. And they look over at the church and like, those people are actually living real life together and they love each other. That's the thing I want. That's supposed to be a big part of our testimony. And when we blindly follow the world into like the isolation and, and just living on our screens, we're really burying such an important part of our testimony. And I think it's, is it not crazy to y'all too? Like everybody's like, well, I'm just like an introvert. Like they've convinced themselves that they're introverts and that they don't need people. That's why they are on their screen. But I'm like, this is just what you've gotten used to. When you get out and you get with people, you realize this is life-giving. This infuses joy into my life in a way that no screen ever does. And so it's, but you have to force them because somehow there's something about that relationship with the screen that convinces them that they're antisocial. Oh, I completely agree. And, and I think it's like a it's like a muscle too, uh, where it's really scary at first to come out of that shell. And then you get these relationships in going, it's like, like, why was I not? Of course, this is what was missing, you know, like, and I could tell just personal testimony. That was like, for me, I, I so withdrew from the world into gaming and like even I, my friends would call me on a friday night say hey, hey we're all gonna go hang out at so-and-so's house I'm like oh i'm not feeling well but i just wanted to keep playing games and so like it was hard to break out of that and back into being with people but 
that's where the joy is. That's where the fulfillment is because that's what God made us for like, real people in the real world with other real people. Like we're not these isolated, you know, brains in a bottle. Uh, we're supposed to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fantastic. I love the end of second John where he's like writing. I think this is at the end of second John and he's like, man, I have so much more to tell you, but I'm just going to save my ink and pen and I'm going to meet you face to face. And I'm like, amen, brother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, Reagan, we just cannot thank you enough um, for taking time out of your day to be with us on the show and for letting us kind of pick your brain. Thank you so much for writing a student's guide to video gaming. I've literally almost told everyone that I've met. Um, I have friends that have bought copies of it. I like I have a few extra copies and I'm going to start handing it out to people because <laughs> it's so easy for parents to read too. And it just gives them a context because they didn't have the context for it growing up. Um I've yeah, I've told almost everyone about it. And uh, so if our listeners would like to know more about redeeming productivity, because that sounds pretty fantastic. And like I'm kind of thinking, yeah, maybe I should, maybe we I need to have you back talking about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking about redeeming productivity. That sounds like a great podcast yeah. too. I know. I'm like, yeah, we need we need to redo this. Um, where could our listeners go to find you um and learn more about you and what you're doing with redeeming productivity? Yeah, the best place is just redeemingproductivity.com. I've got articles, a podcast, YouTube videos, um, but the I also sent a weekly newsletter, which kind of how like breaks down a lot of different stuff. And you can get a a free morning routine planner there. That's sort of the big thing that I try to give people is it'll it'll help you develop a morning routine that's gonna help you be consistent with your devotions, with things like exercise, all of that. And it kind of I think a lot of um a very good practical place to start is with that. So just go to redeemproductivity.com. You can find all that stuff. That is fantastic. That, Chelsea, you need yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Wait, when you're in church and the, and the pastor says something convicting, like, you yeah, point yeah, to yeah, someone. Right. You like, really need to be listening to this right now. <laughs> you don't even know what I work with, Reagan. Okay, she'll like text me at five o'clock in the morning. She's like, I've already written three new articles. I've closed all of my rings on my Apple Fitness Watch and I have five new plans for a book. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Kelly. <laughs> You wake up to that. Oh, yes, that is what I work with. That's hilarious. I love. I love a good morning routine. Yes. Well, we we do thank you, Reagan. So we are going to give um, our listeners a link to where they can find you, not only at Redeeming Productivity, but a link to the book as well, Students' Guide to Video Gaming, as it is a really fantastic resource. So thank you so much for joining us today. I would just love to have you back. So. Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. All right. Thank you. Wasn't that amazing? I just learned so much and gleaned so much wisdom and inspiration from Reagan. I hope that you did too. Be sure that you check out Redeeming Productivity, his ministry, as well as his book. You can get that on Amazon. It is a student guide to video gaming. So good. So good. So good. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next week, go and be brave.